Amen. As my uh, teenage daughters were growing up, one of the questions that I would ask them, and as I look back, not enough, but I would ask them, um, what are you going to do? And this is when they're late in high school and in college. What are you going to do with your life? Dad, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Come on, what are you going to do? How am I supposed to know? And I said, my goal is this. And I always said, here's what I want you to understand. God created you a certain way. And you're really good at something. Your job is to figure that out and go do it. And to do what God created you to do. And I took that from the fact of, you know, I always used to think, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm not really a pastor. I'm a youth guy. Because I just love, I used to love sharing with teenagers. Pouring on my heart, getting excited. I'm trying to stand still so I don't jump around here. But trying to just excite them and motivate them towards God's word. That's the way God created me. And so I used to tell my girls and saying, God created you special in some unique and, and special ways. Figure out what those ways are and then go do it. Sometimes in this, in this world, we think that God doesn't have a plan for us. And that's why I want to take a, take a look at this morning. Um, the, the whole title, what are you doing with your life? Uh, and the thought process like this, when you get up in the morning and face a day, what do you say to yourself about what your hopes for that day? What do you hope to accomplish? What do you hope to, what do you see that you want to do with that day? You know, there's, I, and I, I enjoy kind of weird things, but I enjoy this book. It's, I've used to use it to, as a supplement to my devotions. It's called A, a Closer Look at Evidence. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Richard and Tina or Kleiss, uh, but it talks about God's creation. And there's some interesting things. I, I have a picture of a gazelle. If you could throw that up there, two pictures. The design of the gazelle's cooling system is among the most ingenious in nature. The gazelle must run at a high speed in order to escape predators. Gazelles can reach speeds above the 60 miles in short bursts and sustain speeds to 30 and 40 miles an hour. The ex exertion of energy raises the gazelle's body temperature to such an extent that for the gazelle to survive, its brain must be cooled. The solution to this is a special cooling system built right into the gazelle's head. Gazelles have hundreds of small arteries that pass through a large pool of blood in the nasal passage. Inhaled air cools this nasal blood pool, which in turn cools the blood in tiny arteries passing through the pool, like we would call heat exchangers. After the blood has been cooled, it recombines in a large blood vessel and circulates into the brain. Without this system for cooling the brain, the gazelle could not simply survive. It's interesting that God, when he made the gazelle, said, okay, I got a, I got a purpose I want you to do. I'm going to make you exactly what the way that you need to be to accomplish that purpose. I have another one, uh, two more, the eagle. The eagle can, the eagle's diving speed can exceed 100 miles per hour. It's pretty fast. At this speed, the eagle's eyesight must be perfect in order to know exactly when to pull out of a dive. Its eyes are designed to spot a rabbit or fish up to a mile away. The eagle also has remarkable design wings, each covered with 12,000 feathers. Aircraft designers are still trying to copy this engineering marvel, which allows them to climb to 10,000 feet within minutes. Again, God looked and said, okay, I'm going to make an eagle. 
And I mean, it's designed exactly what it's made for. Another thing I like to take a look at, one more, it's the seal. For many years, he's cute. For many years, scientists have not understood why mammals, such as seals, could make extended dives into deep water and not develop this condition called the bends. They found the answer by using a backpack to monitor the seal's heart rate, sample its blood, and record its diving depth. True to the laws of physics, nitrogen accumulated in the seal's blood as it descended deep into the ocean. However, the nitrogen concentration leveled off in the seal's blood just before reaching a dangerous point. Scientists discovered that the tiny sacs in the seal's lungs, which absorb air in order to pass oxygen into the bloodstream, simply shut down once the nitrogen level in the blood gets too high. At the same time, the seal's liver and, and bladder begin to absorb the nitrogen from the blood. As the seal ascends to the surface, air exchange sacs in the lungs reactivate. Now, how did this get this way? You know, how did, how did the gazelle and the eagle and the seal get that? Did it just happen? No, we step back and say, boy, that's God's beautiful creation. That's just the way God created them. I'd like to share with you something. And just, you don't have to turn it by Ephesians 2.10. For we, we, are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. God created us. He formed us exactly to accomplish our purpose. So when I used to tell my daughters and said, okay, I need you to figure out how God created you and what, he give, what talents and gifts he's given you and go do it, it falls right in line. God's, we're God's workmanship. If we look around this room, every single person's different. Every single person has different gifts and abilities. But we are all God's workmanship. And that workmanship and knowing that we have a task should drive us. Jesus Christ said in, in John 4, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. My desire is to follow God's leading in my life. This morning we're going to take a look at the book of Hebrews. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, it's Hebrews chapter 10. I put a little slide up there about the, the book of Hebrews was written to fortify Christians Christian beliefs in the church. The author describes the perfect priesthood of Christ, who, unlike the Jewish high priest, offered but one sacrifice, God's own Son, thereby redeeming all of mankind once and for all. The office of the Jewish high priest, by contrast, was filled by a temporary appointee whose imperfect sacrifice had to be repeated over and over the author concludes that Christianity is consequently superior to Judaism. In Hebrews chapter 10, you'll be hearing a flavor of that. You're hearing about a sacrifice for once and for all. If you go to verse 12 of this, it said, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And this is talking about Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross and his paying for our death and then being victorious over the grave. That was the single sacrifice once and for all for our sins. And then verse 13, it says, waiting, excuse me, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool unto his feet. And that, that sacrifice will last all the way until the day that it's described in Philippians chapter 2. 
where every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. And so that sacrifice covers all that. Christ will stand above all those who were his enemies. If you take a look at verse 14, it says this, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being saved. He has perfected. As far as Christ's sacrifice is, is concerned, we have already been sanctified to perfection. The way God looks at us is through the eyes of perfection. Verse 15 says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness with us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after these days, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws on their hearts and write on their minds. He will do all that, and that's what's be, that's been given to us as believers in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to, to say something, and just to reinforce the fact again. In verse 17, it says, and then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Do you understand that? I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there's a forgiveness of these, there's no longer, there's, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. The work of sacrifices of Christ is done. Forgiveness is already provided for those who trust in this perfect sacrifice. When God forgives our sins, he puts it out of his mind. He erases it from the page of time. He forgets it. Through Christ, he forgives our sins. I'd like you to think about this for a second. Step away from that. You know, we could just fly through that. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And after you do a little exercise with me, make believe if you were a youth group, because I would do this many times with them. Do me a favor. I want you to think real hard. What is the one sin that you committed that nobody knows about that you're most ashamed of? I guarantee everybody in this room like that knew what it was. We know what it is. Why? Because we still carry that bag with us. What does it say Christ has done? I will remember that sin and all their sins no more. That's a powerful fact that we need to carry with us every single day. Our sins are forgiven at the cross once and for all. We have nothing to be ashamed of. With that gives us freedom and boldness. I, I've talked to many people about, you know, I, I'd love for you to, to serve. I'd love for you to, to help us in this. Could you pray out loud? Could you do this? And many times, I, I can't do it, Steve. You don't know my life. And I want to hit them with this. You may bring all that baggage with you, but God looks at you pure and spotless as holy. Is there only one amen in the house? Amen. So that one sin that you thought of, that you carry with you, that you go, boy, you know what? If I ever got found out, he's forgotten it. He's forgiven it. He's freed you from that. So many times we as Christians, we carry the baggage that we go, yeah, I know my sins are forgiven. But there's that one. Steve, you don't know. You don't know what happened. 
And I'd just like to say, what does it say? Isaiah 43, 25 says, he remembers your sin no more. Psalm 103, 12, he says, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Last time I checked, that's an immeasurable distance. That's how far he removes our sin. I remember, and I don't know whether it's false doctrine, but I remember as I was being raised as a kid, I used to lie in bed, and this is probably when I was uh, 12, 13, 14 years old. And I used to lie in bed. I used to think of the, and I was told that I need to confess my sins every night in case I die during the middle of the night just to be safe everything was covered. So I used to lie in bed and think about my sins. And then I used to throw in the bed. And Lord, all the sins I can't remember right now, please cover those too. Did anybody else do that? Or am I the only crazy one? I have a few, okay? But it's just like we used to do that. And the thing is this, my sins are forgiven. I don't keep track. Oh no, if I skip that one, can we ever remember all of our sins? Maybe we remember all the sins of commission. How about the sins of omission? How about when we didn't pray enough, we didn't love people enough, we didn't do that? Those are the sins of omission. But God says, all those are forgiven. And boy, isn't that good news? He goes on to say in verse 19, because of the verses above, therefore, brothers, and I always ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Because he wants to get our attention. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, no one can accept, except the high priest can enter the Holy of Holies. Now we could do that with confidence. We could do that with confidence. Verse 17 is the reason for our confidence in verse 19. We, we have boldness. That is a state of facts. It's not an exhortation. We have boldness. We have access to be bold, for to boldly approach God. We don't have to pro, approach God with our heads down. We approach God with an wor- act of worship, going for what you've done. And let's take this a step further. And it, this might be a few here. When we don't allow ourselves to forgive ourselves, or what God has forgiven, we don't forgive ourselves, we almost waste what he's done. And I'm sure he looks at us, didn't you trust me? When I say this, I will remember your sins no more. I will... I will re- Forget them as far as the east is from the west. Do we put that to the test? I put this in, um, I put a little phrase there on the bottom. Our confidence does not depend on what we have done for God or what we have achieved in our Christian walk. Our confidence rests on what Christ has done for us, what he accomplished on our behalf when he laid aside his glory and came to earth as a man. He came to fulfill the righteous requirement of God's law on our behalf so that we would not remain under condemnation but be raised up in newness of eternal life. Okay, I trust this morning that we could get our arms around that and say, I believe I am forgiven. I believe God looks at me through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ and sees me as spotless. Where I can say, I'm not spotless, but Jesus says I am. 
Because that's the way he sees me. So therefore, we could have confidence. I could go boldly to the throne and pray to him and share with him and pour out my heart. Why? Because I know we're in this right relationship. There's nothing separating that relationship. Many times we miss that boldness. I've talked to people, I can't talk to the Lord. I can't pray. I just, um, and I hope I don't get emotional about this. I had a, the last wedding I did in, in Ohio was for two uh, young kids, and uh, Gabe and Sydney. And uh, last, it was on the way to our meeting, matter of fact, I got a phone call from Gabe. He was just bawling his eyes out. And she was due to deliver her baby on Saturday. On Thursday, she had a miscarriage. Okay. And I was just like, dude, I know you feel like it's my fault. I know you're feeling like all different types of things that you can't. And you're angry at God. Go to God. He gets it. He understands. We could go boldly before the throne of God and pour out your heart, cry out your eyes before the Lord. We sometimes go, we go to so many different other places because they'll accept us. And we miss the most accepting person in the universe, and that's a God, our Savior. Because of this truth, because of this truth, he shares with us three let us things that we should be doing. And I'd like you to catch that because everything we said so far is the foundation. We have confidence to go before the throne. We are forgiven. Our sins are no more. He's forgotten our sins. But take a look at verse 22. He says this, let us draw near with a heart full of assurance of faith. We are to live working and walking and talking with him, to live life confident of our relationship with him, full assurance, full assurance in our faith. And then he goes on to say, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is, talks about positional sanctification of God's justice. The removal and payment by his son for our sins. That was done once and for all. That's what he was talking about earlier. And then he talks about B. And our bodies washed by the pure water of the word. This is the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit as he changes us from the inside out. So some people say, well, it's baptism. No, baptism is an outward manifestation of what's taking place in your heart. This is talking about what is going on on a regular basis in our own lives. When a person comes to Christ, both of these things take place. Christ's death pays the penalty of our sin for us, and God is satisfied. And secondly, the cleansing act of the Holy Spirit begins to change us on the inside, and he is satisfied. The first let us is let us allow the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit to begin to change us daily on the inside. And I very practically, mind is God, practically, how do we do this? And here's, here's the first thing I think what God desires for each of us each and every day through spending time each day, every day in his word. Sounds very simple. Sounds very, like, Steve, you're oversimplifying it. No, that's what it says here. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to my word? Are you in God's word regularly, every day reading it? You know, this whole COVID thing turned our worlds upside down a little bit. 
our schedules, who's at home, who's not at home, and all that kind of stuff. And some of us, maybe we've been Christians for a long time. We've grown weary and gone, oh, here we go. It's the old thing over and over again. And God doesn't want us to have it. He wants us in the Word every day, reading it, just you alone with God. As a youth pastor for 35 years, I can tell you what we had every student and every leader do for every trip we've been on. We'd go on, I've probably been on over 70 weekend retreats. I've been on over 35 short-term mission trips. On every single trip, every morning, go find your happy spot. Happy spot? Happy spot where you get to hang out with God. I don't know what to read. Well, here's something for you to read. Many times I had books, I had material for them to read because that was essential to start their day. That was essential for them to, to walk with the Lord. You know what happened? We tried to develop a habit, a habit of every morning I need to wake up and read. You know, we go for week-long trips, we come back and I go, hey guys, before you go, do me a favor. Would you start it on this trip, spending time with the Lord every single day? Continue. Remember how you used to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Do that now that you're at home. Spend time, allow the Holy Spirit to work in our heart, convicting us, pointing us into the right direction. As a parent, um, my kids used to hate this phrase. But I have three ways that God gets a hold of us. First one is our conscience, that the Holy Spirit uses through God's word. How many times have you been poked and go, wow, I need to do that. I'm sorry, Lord. How many times did you confess to the Lord? I've blown it. I, I failed you. Why? Because I've read this work. That's the conscience, the Holy Spirit working in there. The second way he works is through crisis. Crisis. Puts a crisis in our life to try to wake us up to go, oh, wow, this is where I mean. I should be over here, but I moved away from you, Lord. I'm sorry. And we pull back. And the last one was catastrophe. Was catastrophe. And I remember distinctly one time that, um, and my daughter, who, uh, who I, I'll tell you, I love the most, only because she has my grandkids. Um, <clears throat> I tell my other daughters, once you get grandkids, I'll love you just as much. But uh, she was the troubled teenager growing up. And her senior year, um, she was out doing some things. And long story short, she was driving. She wasn't driving. Uh, her boyfriend was driving. She was told, you're never to have anybody else drive, the, drive our car except for you because, number one, you're not covered by insurance. Number, I don't know who the guy is. Long story short, on a rainy Friday night, I get a call. Dad, there's been an accident. I'm okay. Could you come pick us up? So it's pouring down the rain. And I head over there, and, uh, and the car's pretty smashed up. And I said, are you okay, honey? Yeah, Dad, I'm okay. And I says, uh, you were driving, right? And she said, no, Dad, I know. What did she know? She knew that she was fighting God. The conscience was getting to her. She knew the crisis was coming. And now catastrophe hit. And she goes, he got me. She turned around and said, I am changing the way I'm living. And from that moment, God got a hold of her heart. You know what? That's the hard way to do it. My, my personal thing, I always tell my kids, I want to learn through God's word. I want his Holy Spirit to convict me. I want my conscience to be pricked in such a way by the Holy Spirit that, boy, I need to change this. Before I'm faced with crisis or catastrophe, 
But the first one here is just to say, get into the word. Number two, and it's in verse 23. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In light of what Jesus did, let us hold fast to the truth. The reformers used to call it the perseverance of the saints. For he who promised is faithful. Without wavering, staying the course is not something that we do or keep ourselves saved, but it is an evidence on the human side that we are saved. And if you try to figure that out, just go through the parable of the sower and the soils and just what happened to each individual. But at the end of that parable in Luke, he says, the true believers, however, are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Let us, without wavering, stay the course. I practically say, how do we do that? How do, we, how do we stay the course? Because each of us know people. And I, I could write a book of individuals who did not stay the course. Most of them are students, but a lot of are adults. They didn't stay the course. And I go, what happened, Lord? Why didn't they stay the course? Well, I, I, as I was preparing, I went back to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks in the council who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But on the other side, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. If he does this, he will be a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does is he prospers. I used to tell my kids that you become like those people around you that you associate with. And I think the next thing that God is telling us through this is say, you know, don't waver. Stay the course. Stay the course. Don't waver. How do you waver? You surround yourself with people, with godly people. As I look back at my life, I, I thank the Lord for the people that the Lord has, has put on either side of me to say, hey, stay the course. Because sometimes we think we have it figured out, and we don't. And we do the goofiest things. We do things that are almost against God's word. Somebody needs to say, what are you doing? And my question is, who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Last night, I, I got a text from, from one of my friends from a church in Ohio. I haven't been there for two years now. He said, hey, can we have a Zoom meeting, Zoom call with you around 8? What? What's up? He says, oh, the Sunday school class that you used to lead is having a party at our house. We want to talk to you and Becky. My heart was so encouraged. You know why? Because we are part of something. And they wanted to say, hey, we love you guys. We miss you guys. We're praying for you guys. We're in this with you, even though we're not there with you. We need those people in our lives. We need those people to be saying, are you in the word? Are you, are you praying? Are you, do you worship the Lord? Are you walking where you should? Are you watching the right things? I look back and say, my church in, in Pennsylvania, we had a group of youth leaders for 13 years that we used to call them a band of brothers, even though we did allow some girls to be part of it. 
But it was a, it was a tight group. But they had the freedom to say, hey, Steve, you seem a little off tonight. What's going on? And they had, they had the freedom to, to say, hey, are you doing this and are you doing that? And I could say, hey, Mike, are you guys, are you guys spending time in the Word? Are things okay at home? That keeps us from wavering. That keeps us from wavering. There's some great things going on in your church to be involved in. Some of you guys might be on the fence going, I don't know if I'm going to go. So go not to learn. Go to be part of something. To be part of something. Realistically, when you get old like most of us in this room, how much new stuff do you actually learn? Okay? You're not going to learn that much, but you're going to go, hey, we're locking arms with some guys. And maybe there's some younger guys that I can encourage. Maybe there's some younger guys that you can invite to those meetings. Why? Because, guess what? There's no lone wolves here. We need each other. We need each other. And the goal here is so we don't waver. And he has to say it because, guess what? It doesn't come naturally. We like to all take our salvation. I'm good. I'm going off by myself. It doesn't work that way. We have to have each other. We have to have each other. Number three, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not, not neglecting the meeting of ourselves. Not neglecting the meeting together is a habit of some. The word stir up is strong. Please get that. I didn't write that. This is here. The word stir up is a strong word, a striking ter term, meaning incitement. It seems to suggest that loving and serving one another will not just happen. We have to stir the pot. Your pastor has to stir the pot, saying, let's go. We need to serve. We need to act. We need to move. Because most of us, if left to ourselves, just be happy to sit. You know, I, I love the size of your church because I would guess most of you know each other in this room. I bet some churches that are huge. You don't know anybody. Everybody's a visitor every week. And I wonder sometimes, how does that church function? How does that first church function? Where well, you could come and be anonymous. There's no connection and there's no force to ask you, you need to serve. I, I worked in a church, and I was the missions pastor after I was youth pastor for a little bit. And he said, hey, guys, I, can you serve with me? We're going to good. I can't. Really? What's the problem? We'll try to fix that to make that happen. People say, oh, you're forcing people to go. No, I'm stirring. I'm stirring. And I believe it's Scripture saying we need to stir a little bit. Because at, left to our own selves, we will sit. And we need to stir. As believers, we are instructed to be concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ and to stir up one another to love and good deeds. We are to care for each other and consider how to stimulate one another as Christ loved. We as believers are instructed to provoke others unto love and good works. You know, in, in youth ministry, I could pull this off a lot. Um, in... Um, the last few years, um, service was huge in my heart. We used to have three high school trips and two junior high trips a year that we would teach teens to serve. Say, I want you to go. Well, give one week your summer serve the Lord. And pick one, but you will pick one. I can never say that to this congregation. 
No, Pastor. But it's a youth ministry. Okay. Hey, this is what we do. Why? We're created to serve. Okay, that was stirring the pot with a big stick. Right? But guess what? Sometimes we had 75, we had over 100 kids serving. And for many of them, it changed their lives as they did something much bigger than themselves. As they loved on people. As they cared for people. And I got people call me now and just say, hey, guess what, Steve? You got any trips I could go on? I need a, a fix of the Dominican. I need a fix of Haiti. I need to get back at it because I've embraced the American culture too much. I need to get back to this is what really matters. And so teaching people to serve, teaching, give, giving them opportunities to serve, by, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's he talking about, the day drawing near? Guess it's coming. Amen. It's a whole lot closer than when I first started ministry. When I started ministry, there was a half this garbage going on. Okay? It's coming. And so my goal is this. Hey, you see the day coming? It's almost like you see the finish line. What are you going to do? See the finish line? You're going to walk across? No, I love watching some of the Olympics or some guy. This guy's got a great kick. I want to be the person with the great kick. So, man, when I see the finish line, I could out-sprint anybody to get to the finish line. I want to finish hard. I want to finish strong. My encouragement to you, as you say, the day nearing, the coming of the Lord, don't you want to be that person that is sprinting as hard as you can, serving as hard as you can? And I love that analogy because guess what? At that point in time in the race, everybody's tired. And guess what? We're tired. We're tired. Some of you have served the Lord a long time. Some of you are sitting here going, Steve, you don't know. My days are over. I don't know. Race isn't over yet. Check out the finish line and give that little bit of kick there. Give that little bit of kick. What time do I need to be done here today? I got like a bunch of pages here more. You're all right. You keep going. You're good. You're good. Okay. I just, I, I see people getting up and leaving. I'm talking, am I going too long? Okay. All right. Good. Good. When I get up and leave, that's your. That's my cue. <laughs> the purpose that, uh, that God has given us each and every day as we wake up, and I put it this way. Because of who you are in Christ, in the finished work of Christ, you are forgiven, you are loved, and you are cleansed. Because of that work, he says this, let us allow the work of the, whole, the, work of the Holy Spirit to begin to change us daily on the inside. And that means get into God's word. Practically, because of the first let us, let's get into the word. Let's get revitalized in getting into the Word. I want to ask the question, but how many of you is your time with God each day becoming some, a little stale? Find something to say, boy, I need to find a new spot, a new habit, a new time. I need to find something to, or somebody to hold me accountable because I need to get in because that is important to who I am. The second let us, let us without wavering, stay the course. 
Stay focused, stay strong, and to do that, surround yourself with good spiritually-minded friends. You know what's the worst thing to be part of a small body like this? Say, oh, we're so-and-so. Oh, they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Really? Did somebody grab them? Did somebody go after them? They were our brothers. They're part of this local body here. That's a responsibility. And they need each other, and we need each other. So surround yourself with good spiritual friends. And, and the third one is let us pursue the community of God's people. Lock arms and serve him together. And I, I went quickly through it, but it's just it talks about serving people inside the church and serving people outside the church. Okay, we all have gifts and abilities. We all do something special. Use your gifts and abilities here. And then be a light and allow your good works to shine for Jesus Christ in the world in which we live. Our converged president, um, when we were together, he shared, how do you, what do you, as, as we come out of COVID, what do we do differently now? Because of what we've been through, churches have been shut down. We've lost loved ones. We've lost friends. Uh, the world is different. What do we do now? And um, he listed a, bus, a bunch of adjustments, but I, I latched on to the first one. And the first one is revise your rhythms. And I'd like to read to you what he says. So I suggest to you that you look at your spiritual disciplines and ask yourself, is what I am doing keeping my tank full or am I running on fumes? Where am I getting my life-giving thoughts? Who are my life-giving relationships? What are my life-giving activities? And double down on those. Find a new rhythm. If you can't keep your spiritual fever, it's time to add some spiritual fuel. The last thing I want to lose anyone else in the battle because of lack of soul care. So please take care of yourself. Walk with Jesus. Pray with your spouse. Talk to a friend. Get help. Create sustainable, healthy spiritual rhythms in your life. As we step back and say, okay, so what do we need to do? What do what's God's will for us tomorrow morning? Have some strong, sustainable rhythms in our lives. For some, you need to take a step even far back or farther back. And you need to say, I need to accept God's complete 100% forgiveness in my life. Because right now, you struggle with your devotional life because you don't feel forgiven. And you're letting there be a wall between you and the Lord. So that's the first step. But once you're past that, they say, what disciplines, what rhythms am I putting in my life to sustain my spiritual walk? Two weeks ago, um, in our church, in, uh, in celebration, uh, Pastor Greg was preaching on Psalm 62. In the summertime, they preached to the Psalms. In verse 1, it says, My soul waits in silence. Didn't really like that. So I went up to him. said, Greg, I think you're a little meddling today. He says, I was. But was it good? The Holy Spirit spoke through him and through the word. And there were things I needed to change. I had no problem waiting. I had a problem waiting in silence. Because I like to hear things. I like noise going. And God had to say, okay, Steve, be still. And he stepped a little close to my feet. 
this morning, I understand I might step a little bit close to some of your feet. I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I'm just saying, let's stay strong. Let's, let's all finish the race that God's called us to. And to finish strong before him. I'd like you to pray with me, would you please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time we could share in your word. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, we love your word that speaks to our hearts, that gives us guidance, gives us counsel. And Lord, help us to, to not waver. Help us to stay strong. Help us to live completely forgiven lives. And Lord, help us to, to change this world one person at a time by loving them and caring for them. Lord, thank you for this time we could share together this morning. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for their faithfulness. And Lord, I pray your blessing upon each and every person this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.